Welcome to MedSider, where you can learn from experienced medical device and med tech experts through uncut and unedited interviews. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. Hey there, ladies and gents. Welcome to another edition of MedSider Radio, brought to you from the WCG studios here in Minneapolis. If you're new to the program, MedSider Radio is where we learn from med tech and other healthcare thought leaders through uncut and unedited interviews. Just a few quick messages before we get started. First, I send out a free email newsletter about once per month highlighting my favorite med tech and or healthcare related stories, the ones that I personally get a lot of value from. I don't send the newsletter out very often, but when I do, I really try to make sure it's valuable. So if you're interested, head on over to medsider.com and enter your email address. As a bonus, I'll send you a free ebook on the strategies I personally use to make connections at conferences. I think you'll find the ebook pretty useful. And while you're online, head on over to iTunes and rate our show. A five-star rating would really help us out. Second, for those of you that subscribe to the email newsletter, you're probably aware of this, but I recently joined the MedTech practice of WCG, a fully integrated marketing agency. So if you're looking for some marketing help, there's a few reasons you should consider our firm. First, we're entirely focused on MedTech. Second, our wheelhouse is analytics, which drives all of our recommendations. And third, we're fully integrated, which means you don't have to source capabilities from another shop. So if you have a project in mind that you'd like to discuss, hit me up at scott at medsider.com. Again, that's scott at medsider.com. And lastly, speaking of marketing, to generate more awareness for some of these interviews, I've recently started using a pretty unique system called Panoptic Stacking from the team over at ReachFire Digital. I know, Panoptic Stacking, it sounds sophisticated, right? Well, to be honest, it sort of is, but let me try and explain. First, they validated some of my messaging in real time and developed an automated customer pathway based on my audience here at Medsider. Then utilizing something called echo marketing, they're using behavioral targeting to move that same audience through a customized online journey. After executing my personalized panoptic stack, I'm already seeing a really nice impact and I'll share some of those results in future episodes. So if you're interested in learning more about the system, the team over at ReachFire Digital has agreed to build a custom panoptic stacking blueprint for the first 15 MedSider listeners that respond to this message. They normally charge 2,500 bucks to build one blueprint, but because they're big fans of MedSider, they're giving it to our first 15 listeners for free. So go to reachfiredigital.com forward slash MedSider. Again, that's reachfiredigital.com forward slash MedSider. Grab that blueprint. Okay, on to the episode. Hey everyone, on today's episode, we've got Bill Facto, who joined Irland's corporation as chairman, president, and CEO in November of 2013. Most recently, he was the vice chairman of ExploraMed, a medical device incubator based on the West Coast, and as an entrepreneur in residence at New Enterprise Associates. Previous to this, Bill was at Johnson & Johnson from early 2010 through early 2012 as worldwide president of their ENT division. Facto joined J&J via the $800 million acquisition of Eclarent, where he served as president, CEO, and a member of the board of directors since the company's formation in 2004. Under Bill's leadership, the company went from concept to acquisition in five and a half years, raised over $100 million, created jobs for approximately 400 employees, grew revenues to $100 million, and became profitable. Prior to joining Eclarent, Bill was the general manager manager of the endovascular division at Abbott, where he served as a member of the executive team and created the entry strategy for Abbott to participate in the peripheral vascular space. He joined Abbott via the $683 million acquisition of Perclose, which was a vessel closure company where he was the sales director. From July 1993 through early 1998, Bill worked in a number of sales and sales management positions at United States Surgical Corporation or otherwise known as U.S. Surgical. Here are the things we're going to cover in the interview. How Bill and his team celebrated after a Clarence was acquired by J&J, 
Bill's current role at Earlens, the technology they develop and how they intend to commercialize it, what brought Bill into the medical device space with U.S. Surgical back in the early 1990s, and how Bill's medtech sales experience has impacted the rest of his career, what medtech entrepreneurs can learn from Bill's experience helping to build a clarent from the ground floor, mindshare and comfort zones, Bill's advice on how to experience personal growth as a leader in medtech, people, product, and opportunity, and what they mean to Bill as a medtech executive, his thoughts on the regulatory and reimbursement environments, and why he loves the direct-to-patient approach they're taking at Earlands, and lastly, Bill's favorite book, the CEO he admires most, and what he'd tell his 25-year-old self. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Bill Facto. Bill, welcome to the MedSider program. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Scott. I'm glad to be here. All right, let's go ahead and dig in. Bill, take us back to that late 2009, sort of early 2010 timeframe when J&J acquired a Clarence. I know you were employee number four with a Clarence back in, I think, 2004. That was a huge win for a Clarence, as, as most people that are listening know, not only for its investors, but you know, all of the Clarence employees as well. So considering you, you, know, you spent six years there or so you know, building that ship, do you remember how you celebrated with, with your team? Yeah, so, I mean, we've had a lot of celebrations over the years with the team, but, you know, I mean, this is one of the things that, you know, we, we probably didn't celebrate much until, you know, after it was all said and done. And, you know, we, many of us stayed on for a few years to make sure that the business was transitioned over, but there were, you know, a few offsites and, you know, certainly a couple of social gatherings. I mean, I think the beauty about Clarence and the management team was that it really was a high-functioning team and we all got along very well. So there's been plenty of, of celebrations and, you know, closing dinners and, you know, other things over the years. So it was a, it was a great experience. I can imagine it was, especially considering the, the size of the acquisition and sort of reliving some of those some of those memories over the over the course of those five or six years. But on that note, we're certainly going to dig into your sort of storied you know med tech career across several different companies. But before we go there, let's sort of level set things for the audience. You're currently the president and CEO of, of Earlens. Can you sort of provide an overview of the market that you're you're playing in, as well as your particular device? And then as a sort of a secondary question would be, you know, sort of give us an idea of where you're at with respect to, you know, clinical data, you know, the regulatory pathways, commercialization, that kind of thing. Yeah. So Earlens is a next generation hearing aid company. And, you know, the, the prevalence of sensory neural hearing impairment is significant. You know, in the U.S., it impacts about, you know, close to 35 million Americans. It's a, a very, very large market. It's grossly underpenetrated, only about one of four or five people that could benefit from a hearing aid actually get one. Astonishingly favorable demographics, the two things that, you know, the primary causes of sensory neuro hearing impairment are going to be age and noise exposure. Both of those are on the rise and will be, you know, for, for some time. You know, I think the, the statistics in the U.S. that stand out for me is that there's, you know, 10,000 people in the United States that are turning 65 every day and will be for the next 15 years. So, so this market will continue to grow on its own because of the demographics. And what we're trying to do is build a channel in ENT. We've got a proprietary differentiated technology that addresses some of the limitations associated with the existing air conduction hearing aids. Instead of using a speaker, like they all do, to amplify sound, we actually use light to transmit sound and energy. And if you think about a contact lens that sits on your eye, we've got a similar approach where we've got kind of a contact lens that sits on the eardrum. And we've got a, a, a laser that is housed into a custom ear tip, and that light shines onto the contact lens. There's a little photo detector on there with a microactuator, and it directly drives the ossicular chain. So the benefit to that for patients is we get a full bandwidth of sound, a, a frequency range from 100 to 10,000 hertz. 
which is you know more than 2x of what the existing hearing aids do. And then we're also able to give a significant amount of gain before feedback because we, we essentially have a silent hearing aid by using light. So we're excited about the opportunity. We've navigated through. I mean, the, the idea has been around for, for Rodney Perkins for some time. He, he's really been thinking about this literally for 25 years. And we've recently have completed a number of clinical studies, We've navigated through the FDA and received 510K clearance through the de novo process about a year ago. And we are in the process of commercial launch here in, in early 2017. So it's an exciting time for the company. Right at the cusp of launching your device, that's got to be exciting for sure. And with respect to your competitors, I, I'm loosely familiar with that arena, but I know Cochlear is a large competitor. And I think they actually invested in one of your rounds, if my research is correct. But are there other competitors as well in, in this space? Yeah, you know, actually, it's in a kind of an adjacent space for Cochlear. They're really not a competitor at this point. They're focused, you know, on the profound hearing and, and cochlear implants. So this would be, you know, potentially complementary for, for them you know, at some point. And, you know, I think where we do have some, some nice overlaps is in the ENT channel. You know, the, the market is pretty much dominated by six large hearing aid companies, five of which are in Europe. And like Sonovo and GN Resound uh, are a few examples, Oticon. And then there's one in the U.S., which is a private company out of Minnesota called Darkey. So it's, it's kind of interesting, at least in my 25 years of MedTech, you usually see, you know, kind of the usual suspects, you know, a, a J&J, a Abbott, a Boston Scientific, you know, Medtronic that are, you know, but these guys aren't participating today in the channel or, or in, in hearing impairment. And I think primarily it's because, you know, the channel has turned them off in the past. And audiology channel is tough. Big six have really focused on distribution through, you know, retail and now selling into Costco. So, you know, we hope to bring more of a professional, you know, kind of sale through the audiologist and the ENT versus, you know, kind of, you know, the retail approach that has typically been done. Sure. That's a good point. I certainly want to address it sort of later on in our conversation after we get through some of your your experiences early on in your career. But that with especially with respect to you know the channels that you're gonna you know you're gonna be utilizing you know during you know throughout your launch, but also sort of that professional component and how you're sort of blending the two. I think that, that that's that's pretty interesting for sure. So if you don't mind, let's kind of you know rewind the clock back in time because I think you've spent most of your career in med tech. You know, dating back to the early '90s when you joined U.S. Surgical. So what brought you into the device space back in that time frame? Well, you know, it was interesting. I'd been a year out of college and, and working at a long-distance company called AllNet Communication, and, and basically the business model there was, you know, to go out and cold call about 50, you know, businesses a day. I found myself one day cold called a recruiter's office, and in anticipation of maybe trying to sell them long distance, you know, it, it turned out that I was actually being interviewed by a recruiter. And, you know, she had said, hey, listen, you know, continue to do a good job. I'm going to keep your name on file. And, you know, one day I'm going to give you a call, you know, for, for some opportunities. And, and sure enough, that happened. She called and, and basically said that there was a, you know, job opportunity. I was in, in South Florida, which, you know, with U.S. Surgical, and, and it was, a you know, kind of a division of office called Automated Instruments. And said, you know, hey, listen, you're, it's a long shot for you to get the job. They usually like, you know, people with three to five years experience minimum, but I'm going to put your name in the hat and, and we'll see what happens. It'll at least be a good experience. And seven interviews later, the last one was over six hours. I finally landed the job after role-playing with the VP of sales, Jerry McNamara. And, you know, Jerry's was also VP of sales over at Intuitive Surgical for many years and has done well there. And so he gave me a shot. 
in med tech, and you know, as they say, kind of the, the rest is history. But I joined U.S. Surgical in uh, 1993, right around the time where the, the laparoscopic cholecystectomy boom was happening, and you know, it was a, a huge opportunity and and really fun times of training physicians and doing more minimally invasive surgery. That's such a great story. I'm I'm loosely familiar with with Jerry McNamara. I didn't I did not know that he was with U.S. Surgical back in in, in that time frame. And so funny to think that you did your last round of interviews with him when he was VP of Sales. But what a grinding process, right? I mean, I I don't know if U.S. Surgical still operates. Why well, Covidian, I guess, still operates in that with, with that sort of aspect in regards to inter- their interview process. But I, I can certainly appreciate that as I've done. I've been involved in a number of those those types yeah. of interviews. Maybe not not that lengthy. I guess seven seven interviews long. But yeah, those device interviews can be can be pretty intense. Absolutely, and you know, U.S. Surgical kind of cracked the code early. I think on you know physician training and and you know kind of what it takes to you know roll out new technology and convert you know physicians to more minimally invasive surgery. But you know it was a very regimented you know, militaristic, you know, kind of training process that, you know, certainly did start in the interviewing. But, you know, I, I kind of equate it to boot camp. You know, you, you go through it, but you never want to do it again. But it's, you know, it builds a good, you know, foundation. And, you know, I thought U.S. Surgical was a great company and certainly learned a lot there. Sure. Yeah, no, no doubt. And on that note, you spent about five or six years with U.S. Surgical before you moved on to, to Perclose. But, you know, when you look at that, you know, in looking at your background, I noticed that that was a solid, whatever, six or seven, eight years of, you know, field-based sales experience, not just as a rep, but as a, as a manager, as a sales director, et cetera. So how, how do you think that experience, you know, in the trenches with physicians on a, on a day in and day out basis, how do you think that's helped you throughout your career, not only just with, with Eclair, but even now what you're doing with Earlands? You know, I look back at my career and, you know, certainly it was one of the most rewarding. I was learning a ton, but, you know, I believe that, you know, carrying the bag gives you some instincts that I think are, you know, it's kind of a competitive advantage, if you will, as you get into a CEO. I mean, if you you know what it takes to, you know, kind of walk into an OR to talk to physicians, to understand the adoption cycle, you know, from that perspective, I thought that it was great. And it's, you know, very, very useful, you know, when, when you start to commercialize companies, you get appreciation as to, you know, really what it takes and, and the investments that are required there. It also, you know, gets you in, in a better position to, you know, be able to really focus in on where the real issues are and, and you know, especially as you launch new technologies and, and companies, you know, you're always going to have challenges and, and some are real, some are perceived, you know, some are more difficult to solve than others. But, you know, having carried the bag and have that kind of experience, I think, helps and, and aids through that process. The other, you know, piece that I think is, you know, I look back and feel is instrumental and, in, you know, who I've become as, you know, a CEO and, you know, board members and stuff like that. I mean, managing salespeople, I think, is one of the most challenging jobs that, you know, I've ever had. I mean, you you know, you've, you're always interviewing and, and especially if you're in a, in a situation where you're, you know, fortunate enough to be in a company that's constantly growing. And so you're, you know, you're hiring people. You've got, you know, high-performing salespeople that are very, very difficult to manage, and, you know, you're, you're being judged basically on success every month, every 30 days, you know where you stand, and, 
So, you know, it's a tough job to, you know, continue to be creative and motivate and, you know, manage up and manage down into the field. You know, as a manager, you typically get called into the worst accounts or the most difficult situations, and, and you've got to go try to solve problems with customers, and, you know, and, and you want to communicate back to the, the corporation as to, you know, what's happening out in the field. So, I personally think that, you know, that was one of the one of the best jobs that, you know, equipped me with the skills to, you know, effectively be a CEO. And, you know, I'll never forget when I came in house for the first time and, you know, just so used to getting up, going to sit down and talking through issues versus, you know, that was kind of unique, if you will, at, at Abbott where, you know, people were sending emails right next to you and, or talking with engineers that are, you know, rarely comfortable kind of getting a, you know, a monthly review, if you will, and, and one-on-one. So, you know, having all that experience in the sales organization, I think has been, has been incredibly helpful. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and it, it seems like it's always, at least to me anyway, it's always evident when I, you know, have a conversation with a leader of a company, whether whether it's an early stage company or a, a company that's more, that's, that's a little bit more mature, but you can always almost intuitively tell you know, which leaders spent time in, in a sales capacity or in the, you know, in the trenches, as I mentioned before, because they, it seems like they just have a better, sort of a better grasp of what's going to resonate with customers, you know, what's, what's really, you know, they just have a knack for what's really going to work, you know, from a commercialization standpoint, they have a good sense for like how to navigate, you know, various layers in bureaucracy, which I'm sure you experienced, you know, at, at Abbott after they acquired Perclose. But I think it's just great, great anecdote, great, great to hear, you know, your, your take on your sales experience and how that kind of helped you along. Yeah. Well, on that note, let's kind of fast forward to Eclarent. You know, I mentioned earlier you were employee number four there at Eclarent after after Abbott bought or acquired Perclose. You really, you know, sort of built that ship from from the ground up. You know, raising money, obtaining regulatory approvals, achieving you know you know coverage and, and certain reimbursement milestones, et cetera. Before we kind of get on to or get to one of the more the, you know some of the more challenging hurdles that you, you encountered over the you know those five or six years, what brought you to Eclarent when it was still that early in the incubator? You know, the introduction was actually made by Hank Plain, who has been, you know, a, a career mentor for me. I worked for Hank at, at Perclose, and and after he had left, he went into Foundry and started companies there and, you know, eventually into venture capital. But Hank had, had always, you know, kind of, you know, again, mentored me, and, and one day he had called when I was at Abbott as general manager of the endovascular business and, you know, really wasn't looking for a job and, and was completely happy and satisfied as, as to what we were trying to accomplish there. But when Hank calls, you know, you pick up the phone. And so he had mentioned that, you know, he'd want me, he wanted me to meet uh, Josh McHower, who was the CEO and, and founder of an incubator called ExploraMed and thought that, you know, Josh had a, a pretty, you know, interesting idea and wanted to know if I'd be interested in meeting them. So that's how that started. And that was in 2004. Got it. Interesting, those, those connections. And, and you got to know Hank during your per-close days, that's correct? I did. I did. Got he was it. CEO and, you know, and took us you know, all the way through the acquisition of Abbott. Got it. And that, on that note, I, that reminds me, I want to ask you a question about your experience in that transition from, you know, at, you know post-acquisition transition, because you helped really build, you know, Abbott's uh, endovascular business as we know it today. And you sort of did the same thing at, at J&J. So can you speak to that, those experiences, you know, whether you want to talk to the transition at J&J or the transition at Abbott, sort of what you experienced and maybe some of the things that you didn't expect, or maybe the, some of the lessons learned through that, through those transitions going from, you know, nimble startup to, you know, being acquired by a, a large strategic. Yeah. So, and there, there really are completely different, in, in, at least as it pertained to myself and in my own experiences. I mean, at Abbott, I was 
you know, prior to going to Abbott, I was, you know, a sales manager and director of sales and, you know, was on that track. And Abbott, you know, gave me a great opportunity and relocated me from Jacksonville, Florida to come in and, and head up marketing. And, and, you know, quite frankly, I was probably tagged as one of the first to leave Abbott, but it turns out I was one of the last that was standing and stayed on for five years or so and, and, and really learned you know, all the other aspects of MedTech, you know, inside the four walls, as I'd say. I mean, I, I felt like I had a really good understanding and, and growth on the sales side, but, you know, coming in-house and, you know, heading up marketing and then, you know, transitioning into a general management role where we, you know, carved out, a you know, an entry strategy for endovascular and from, from the very beginning. And, and, you know, it was just me. And, and then I hired, you know, a couple of marketing folks. And ultimately, we ended up doing some acquisitions and some internal development. We acquired, you know, the assets to Yomed. We acquired a company called Minova, where we brought an embossed protection device in and carotid stent, ran some studies there and, and got some approvals through the PMA process. And then also through the 510K and, and, and really started commercialization. But you know, Abbott was a wonderful company and, and probably still is, but, you know, very fiscally responsible, been around for a while. They're quoted in, you know, and cited in good to great by Jim Collins. And, you know, I, I really learned a ton, had some good good mentors there with Chuck Foltz and Chip Hance and, and, you know, had some visibility to Rick Gonzalez, who, you know, was one of the most impressive executives that, that I'd ever interacted with. And, so it was a great, it was a great experience, and, and it was really, you know, me learning and putting, being put in different roles, and I enjoyed that. You know, and, and J&J was a bit different, and, you know, I'd always competed against J&J, but, you know, having been a CEO for, you know, five or six years and then, you know, being acquired and, and taking on a division and, and, you know, kind of getting everyone transitioned properly and making sure that, you know, J&J was happy and, you know, committing to, to stay there for a few years. You know, it, it was different. And, you know, it certainly was a great opportunity to get visibility to some good leaders over there and, and you know, Gary Pruden and, you know, Bill Weldon, but, you know, also Alex Gorski. You know, it was it, it was it was good, and, and being you know on the management team at a higher level to, to kind of see how J and J works and the history, and you know how important their people are, and you know those relationships that I was able to to develop. You know, I, I I still look back fondly on that. When I first made a move in from field-based sales capacity into into marketing, I remember one of my mentors, his advice was get to know everyone, you know, regardless of whether they're in a sort of a, a commercial sort of setting or not, you know, so people in, in all the way from, you know, sales ops to those who are running, you know, the ongoing clinical trials, your regulatory folks, et cetera. And I probably didn't appreciate it as much when he first sort of gave me that advice. But, you know, looking back, it's definitely something I, I tried to do. I wish I did almost did more of it because it sounds like, you know, by you know your experiences, especially, you know, with, you know, going from Perclose to Abbott when you first sort of, you know, went internally, you know, the, the fact that you got to know so many people in so many different cross-functional roles probably really, really helped, fought, you know, really took that, you know, what would be maybe a longer, a longer ramp in terms of learning, you know, and really shortened that up quite a bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's see here. When you, let, before we kind of, you know, move on from McLaren, when you think about all of those different accomplishments, you know, for, for other med tech entrepreneurs who are looking at, you know, your experience there, you know, what is, is there something that that's really memorable or something that you really, you really, you know, learned a lot from, you know, whether it was the, you know, clinical trial aspect or, you know, the reimbursement arena, you know, you look back on, on that time or like that, that's, that was a great lesson learned. Well, I mean, there, there are lots of lessons learned, you know, in my career. And, you know, I'm not sure if I could point to any particular one that, that stands out. But, 
you know, I, I guess what I would say, and you know, it's in general, you know, what I've learned is, you know, as CEO of companies, you kind of need to gravitate to where you believe the biggest, you know, risk is in the company. And and I think that's what, you know, good good CEOs have a tendency to do that. And those may be areas that are completely out of, you know, your expertise or comfort zone. And, you know, at a Clarence, that, that was really around reimbursement. And, you know, we, we never anticipated that it would be so hard to positively, you know, influence and, you know, change this patient lives. I mean, the technology was wonderful. It was a no-brainer to many of us, but, you know, the resistance for adoption and the fights with societies and academic positions that, you know, didn't want to to change and, and were, you know, the dogma associated with sinus surgery and the reputation and the politics were, you know, completely underappreciated and and that translated into reimbursement challenges with private payers. And so, you know, ha- having to become, you know, an expert in reimbursement, you know, and, and society politics is, you know, wasn't wasn't on the job description at the time. But, you know, that, that's how, you know, I think good CEOs kind of gravitate. You know, here at Earlens, it's, you know, I think going to be the opposite. I mean, this is a technical beast, as, as I call it. And for the last three years, you know, we've been really hunkered down into, you know, making this product work technically. And and so, you know, I've had to stretch a ton on the technical side, which, you know, as a commercial guy is, you know, not easy. And so I think, you know, from, from that perspective, you never know where these challenges are going to be. You do your best to try to anticipate them up front and, you know, do your diligence. But, you know, when, when these things do present, and they always do, these challenges and, and, you know, company killers, it just feels to me like, you know, my lessons learned are, you know, you gotta, you got to give them 100% mind share and, you know, come up to speed and associate yourself with, you know, the experts that can help you and make sure you bring enough attention and focus on solving it. So good. I'm so glad you brought it up. I probably didn't think that you were going to go there, but just giving, you know, that there's there's really two things that you said that really really ring true for me is giving giving that issue or that problem, that challenge 100% of your mind share, but also not being afraid to go there, you know, and 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 sort of stretch yourself and and going to a place that is is outside of your comfort zone. Such a good lesson learned there. So thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. Before we get to to Earlands, I, w- I definitely want to cover the reimbursement aspect because it's at Earlands, it's it's a completely you know self paid model, which I I want to get your take on. But before we go there, you spent between you know the Eclarent, the J and J and and Eclarent acquisition of Eclarent, and then and then Earlands where you're at now. It's been about a year and a half at ExploreMed and, and NEA. Can you provide like a high-level overview of, of ExploreMed for those that are listening that aren't familiar with that incubator? And then I want to ask you a quick question about NEA as well. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's been a couple of years. And, you know, really, Josh Macauer is the, you know, the genius behind ExploreMed. And Josh is, you know, a, a brilliant man and renaissance man. And, you know, he was the founder of a Clarence and, you know, really the, the brainchild behind the idea of, of using balloons in the sinuses and, and, you know, bringing other cardiology type company or technologies into, into ENT. And then, at, you know, after we sold J&J or a Clarence to J&J and I was there for a few years, you know, Josh and I, you know, aspired to try to work together again. And, and so I joined him over at ExploreMet for a, two, for a few years and, 
you know, with all that was going on in FDA and some of the uncertainty and reimbursement, you know, I think Josh felt as, as, and I was, you know, pretty much in line as well, that, you know, it really, until this stuff works out, you know, maybe we can focus on doing some consumer kind of companies where we can still, you know, have a medical bend and help patients and consumers, but, you know, less of, you know, issues that would be outside our control, like around reimbursement and regulatory. So, so we did that and started, you know, a few companies there, which are, you know, out and, and doing well. And, and then simultaneously, you know, NEA was a great partner at a Clarence. You know, John Nira and Ryan Drant were, were great. And, you know, they did really well at a Clarence as, you know, owning about 50% of the company. They really doubled down and, and were incredibly supportive. And so I got to know NEA, you know, during that process. And, you know, Ryan Drant and, and in particular really reached out and, you know, with Josh's support and John Nira, they, you know, asked if I would, you know, kind of join them as a uh, entrepreneur in residence and help them look at some deals and maybe sit on some boards that NEA had invested in. And so I, I, I did that for a few years and, and, you know, it was good to see, you know, kind of look under the hood and, and see, you know, how the sausage is made over in the VC <laughs> world. And, you know, it, it was interesting. And, you know, so it was it was a great experience and allowed me to grow in other areas and get some visibility and, you know, kind of come to the realization, at least from, from my perspective, that, you know, what I really enjoy doing is running companies and building companies. And whereas, you know, there were some great things about venture capital and early stage company development, you know, like in the incubator, I, I'm more wired to, you know, really build companies, attract management teams, and, you know, kind of solve problems and, and grow businesses. And, and that's what kind of led me back to, you know, making the decision to run Earland. Got it. Makes sense. You answered the question that I was going to ask, and that it seems like maybe that would have been a decent, decent little spot to stay at for NEA for, for a little bit longer and, you know, continue down that VC path. But it sounds like, to your point, you're a bit more wired, a little bit more biased toward, you know, the operation side and, and building and, and running companies. So certainly can appreciate that. You know, as we, as we move on to, to Earlands, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a quote here from Mike Carusi. You know, it's obviously, you know, you know, Mike, well-known venture, you know, med tech venture capitalist. But this is a quote that I think he he made when you first joined Earlands or, or shortly thereafter. He said, bringing on Bill was a game changer for us and paved the way for the company to do a full Series B. And so I thought that quote was interesting. And, you know, why do you think, you know, Mike would make, you know, someone who's really well-known in, in the med tech space, why do you think he'd make that kind of a comment? Well, I mean, Mike is, you know, Mike obviously is, is a great guy and a successful VC and, you know, one of the... I think one of the, the great things that are, you know, still left in, in our industry and in that, you know, he's been persistent and, you know, raising money in a very difficult environment and, you know, works hard. And so, you know, listen, I, I appreciate his comments and am humbled by it, but I, I'm sure Mike and I probably have a similar philosophy on, you know, how these things, you know, these companies in medtech uh, work and what makes them successful. And, you know, from my perspective, it's always been people, product, and opportunity, and, and really in that order. I've seen, you know, some great ideas never, you know, really pan out because of bad execution. And some average ideas turned into phenomenal successes because of the people. So, you know, my guess is that, you know, Mike's been around the block long enough to appreciate that as well. And, you know, whereas I'm I didn't know he'd make that comment, but, you know, I, I appreciate it. I have a lot of respect for Mike and, you know, hearing that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled to, to hear that from him. Sure. You know, I, I kind of asked you to, bra- to brag a little bit about, <laughs> about there, but I appreciate the fact that you, you want to stay humble. Yeah, for those listening that aren't familiar with Mike, I did an interview with him a couple 
couple years ago, I think. Still one of the more popular interviews on the program. It's all, you know, we, we go deep in regards to, to medtech venture capital. So it's a, it's a great one. Mike, really, really good guy. Really get to, really fun to do that, do that interview. So let's transition now, you know, to, to talking, you know, really specifically about Irland. You, you already provided sort of an overview of the market, your specific device, et cetera. But I know you mentioned this direct channels that you referenced before where, you know, the other six competitors, I think are, are very, very focused on the direct to consumer, you know, or direct to patient play. You're bringing a little bit of a different element there, probably because of your background, I would imagine, where you're sort of, you know, trying to blend both worlds, the direct to consumer play or direct to patient play, as well as sort of like bringing in that professional component working through audiologists. So can you explain that a little bit more in detail and kind of your, what excites you about the direct to patient sort of aspect, but also like, how do you envision blending both of those worlds together? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, the thing that excites me, and I, you know, I believe we're heading more and more in this direction where, you know, it is going to be consumer-based decisions. And, you know, I, I believe the biggest thing, and I've said this now for, gosh, probably 10 years, that I, I think the biggest threat to MedTech is insurance companies and, and reimbursement. And, you know, it, it's something that we as a industry and leaders have to you know, take a, I think, a united approach to, to try to help. And, and I don't think it's CMS as much as it is the private payers. I mean, at least there's a process and, and more accountability on the CMS side and, and visibility. You know, we don't have that option on the private payer side. And, you know, the, the Blue Cross Blue Shields of the world and, and you know, private payers, they, they just want to say no. And, and part of the business model is, you know, is profitability through attrition. And, and they know that if they say no long enough, there's there's going to be a percentage that aren't going to make it. So, you know, I think that, you know, that that's going to have to change. I hope it will. But, you know, in the short term, you know, I think having a focus or, you know, an area where, you know, consumers can you know, make the call. It, it used to be in MedTech, you know, when I first came in, if you've got a, if you had a good product and you're going to help patients, you know, you, you, it would be successful. It, it may take longer, but at the end of the day, the system would support it. And, and that's just not the case anymore. And that's that's sad part about our industry. So having the ability to directly discuss these things with consumers and, and, and putting them in a position where they're the decision makers is exciting to me. And, you know, and unfortunately, and, you know, all the things that we pay for in, in the United States of America, we, we do not reimburse for hearing aids. So, you know, this is a $6 billion, you know, global, you know, business and, you know, which about half of that or, or you know, 40% or so is, is in the U.S., but it's all out of pocket. And, you know, that's depending on, on where you're at, it could be a good thing or a bad thing. I, I kind of look at it at this point as, you know, if I was a consumer, you know, I, I'd want to be able to get some relief and uh, be reimbursed as the CEO of the hearing aid company, you know, having to, to try to figure out how to get reimbursement, you know, through Medicare at this stage for hearing aids is, you know, that is daunting. So, so I lean towards direct-to-consumer, you know, maybe we can pursue other ways to get, you know, patients reimbursed like tax credits and, and done some work, you know, with industry lobbyists, you know, and up on the hill to, to try to explain the benefits and how important treating hearing impairment is. And if Medicare is not willing to reimburse, perhaps we can work through, you know, getting a tax credit for patients that need it. But I, I just think that, you know, there are going to be more and more consumer decisions in the future, and, and that's what we will evolve to. So being there today, you know, I feel like, at least for me personally, that that's a good place to be. Yeah. 
I, I couldn't agree with you more in, in, the, in the sense that, you know, the reimbursement pathway is so, it's so difficult and so challenging. I mean, I think for, it seems like for a long time, most folks in med tech sort of, lam, you know, laminate about, complain about, you know, the, the FDA, you know, and, and the slower sort of regulatory pathway. But it seems like anymore, you know, FDA, you know, at least based on the people that I, you know, converse with on a, on a routine basis has, has really, I mean, it's really done a nice job there. Jeff Sheeran over there has done a nice job, at least over the last, you know, handful of years. But now, now the reimbursement is, the reimbursement yeah. pathway is that, is really more, the, is this is the biggest challenge it seems like you know when it comes to commercializing a lot of these devices so interesting to to get your to get your take on that considering you spent you know most of your career in kind of the, the traditional sort of medical device medical device space yeah and yeah. listen i i echo your thoughts i i think jeff sharon has done a wonderful job and you know it, it's not always been easy i'm sure but you know i think he's balanced the the risk and and the time to market and has introduced a heck of a lot more predictability into FDA, and I give him credit. And I remember meeting with Jeff, you know, probably in 2010, and, and you know, he, to his credit, did a lot of town hall meetings and, you know, informal and formal to get feedback. And, you know, he's done a great job. And that's a tough job to be in because you get criticized for, you know, all different size, but... I think for, for those of us that are deep into, you know, understanding med tech and the regulatory path, I think it's hard to, to say that, you know, anything negative about Jeff Sheeran as to the, the contributions that he's made to our space. And, and so I think that's a great thing. Now, you know, it becomes a little more harder to do that on the reimbursement side. Again, CMS, you could have a similar, you know, kind of impact an individual could. But, you know, I, I, don't, I don't see how you know, we can leverage and, and, and have an audience really with the private payers. And, and that's, sure. that's the tough one. Yep. Yep. No doubt. No doubt. I know we, we've got a limited time left. So I, I, I want to jump to your technology, Earlens, which is, you know, pretty disruptive, pretty differentiated, especially versus the other six competitors that you, that you sort of called out earlier in our in our conversation. But I want to get your understanding of how do you approach this? I mean, you, you know, first and foremost, you've got to educate, you know, consumers about, you know, a product that is truly different and, and does stand out. But at the same time, you can't alienate, you know, the, the practitioner audience, right? The audiologist. So how are you approaching that, that, that challenge? Yeah. So, you know, first and foremost, we're, we're going to go slow. I mean, at Clarence, we had to go as fast as we could because it was really about survival and the societies and, and payers. So we trained a lot of physicians because we knew once they were trained and they used it, they'd become passionate about it and want to fight for it. Here, you know, because it's a consumer product, we, we need to move slow and we got to make sure we get it right. We got to get the positioning right. We got to get the pricing right. We've got to get, you know, setting expectations. And the last thing we want is, you know, buyer's remorse. And so, you know, we're, we're right now, we're all about protecting the brand and, you know, at the expense, at, you know, at times of taking a little slower and, and trying to get the product where it needs to be. The other decision, as you said, I mean, we made a, a conscious decision that we don't want to alienate anyone. And, and the audiologist is, you know, a great profession. It's under a lot of change and scrutiny because of some of the dynamics that are happening in the channel right now. And so we want to partner with them, but we also, you know, want to make sure that we're focused on ENT as well. And and so what we bring is, you know, setting the expectation that we think, and we've done a lot of market research suggesting that, you know, an ENT and an audiologist paired together is very, very appealing to the consumer that suffers from hearing loss and hearing impairment. So, so we train together as a team, the audiologist and the ENT, and, and you know, we've you know, kind of had the same talk tracks to make sure that you know, there's U appeal for both of them and that they can work together and that there's a, 
you know, a, a great business and a great opportunity ahead, ahead of them collectively as a partnership or a team versus, you know, them, you know, competing against each other, if you will. So that's, that's been a big focus of us, of our strategy at this point. As I hear you explain that, this might be a little bit of a, of a stretch when it comes to analogies, but just how Edwards had a lot of success sort of, you know, kind of fostering that environment where the interventional cardiologist has to shake hands with, you know, the cardiothoracic surgeon, you know, in the, in the heart valve space. It sounds like maybe you're doing something somewhat similar, you know, with audiologists and, and ENT docs, you know, to, to help commercialize your technology. That's right. Before we, we wrap up here, what, what's next to your lens? I know you mentioned that you're going to commercialize in, in 2017, which you're looking forward to, but any, anything else that you want to share with what's next for the company? Well, I think, you know, we're now transitioning into a commercial stage company, which is exciting. And, you know, we've retired a lot of risk, the technical risk, the clinical, the regulatory risk. And, and you know, now we, we need to focus on, you know, commercial execution. And, and that's an exciting time for the company and, and you know, the 125 employees that, that we have. And so we're, we're excited. And, you know, it's not going to be easy. You know, the big six are, you know, been, there's reasons why they're, they're called the big six. And <laughs> there's lots of, lots of barriers to entry, but, you know, that's, that's kind of why we get up in the morning and it's an exciting time. So, so I'm looking forward to the next phase of, of Irland, which, which will be commercialization and, and really helping a lot of patients. So we're, we're excited to be where we are. Yeah, I certainly wish you nothing but the best. It'll be it'll be fun to, to to watch you guys progress. I'm always always had a natural interest in those those kind of more traditional sort of med tech companies that have a very you know direct to consumer, direct to patient sort of aspect to them. So it'll be fun to watch you guys work. Cool. So let's end our conversation here with the the last three rapid fire questions. They're they're rapid fire from a question standpoint. Don't necessarily have to be rapid fire from an answer standpoint. So what's your favorite business book? You know, I've I've got a lot of uh, I've read a lot of, of business books. I'm pretty one-dimensional from that perspective. Of my <laughs> but, you know, I, I, a lot of my leadership, I think, is based off of, you know, the philosophy of the five dysfunctions of a team. And, and so, I, you know, if I, I guess I had to pick that or the Oz principle, which, you know, is really around accountability. And, and you know, those, those are probably my go-to books. Got it. Very good. Is there a CEO that you're following or, or maybe one that's inspired you in the past? Oh, yeah, many. And, so I, you know, I, I think there was a big gap in med tech leadership uh, a few years ago, and and you know, I think people like Alex Gorsky and and Mike Mahoney over at Boston Scientific. I mean, you know, I I, I know those guys, and I'm glad that they've taken on the role, and and I think that you know that is a a great thing for med tech, and you know, Mike and, and Ms. Solomon, these guys have done a really good job. So I, I feel good about our industry that you know at the at the larger companies that we finally have some stability and some leadership there, and. And I kind of watch those. You know, I, I have a lot of respect for Tom Prescott. And as a, as a person, individual, I sought him out as a mentor when we decided to file to go public at a Clarence. And he was running Align Technologies. And, you know, he had been there, for, I think, for 13 years and took that company from a $200 million market cap to over $5 billion. I think it's close to maybe 6 or $7 billion today. But Tom, you know, I've been, I was actively pursuing Tom to join Earlens as uh, chairman to replace me, upgrade me as chairman and, and have him join. And I was uh, fortunate enough to convince him to, to come over, you know, a year ago but after he retired. But I, I have a lot of respect for Tom and what he's been able to accomplish. I think there's a lot of similarities here at Earlens. So if I had to point to one CEO who is now retired that I, that I talk to closely and is, is going to be Tom. That's great. It'd be, it'd be fun to have Tom on the program. And on that note, Glad you mentioned Mike Mahoney too. I, I know quite a few people over at Boston Scientific, as, as you probably do as well. And and even 
you know, quite a bit lower in the food chain, if you will. They have, you know, most of the people have very positive things to say about what he's done. And you can see that sort of re- reflecting in their in their stock price as well. But it's cool that you pointed that out too. So last question, Bill, um, if you had the opportunity to turn back, turn back time, rewind the clock all the way back where you were at at the age of 25, what would you tell yourself then? <laughs> you know, I think, you know, enjoy the journey, right? And you, you can't get too serious about this stuff. In the big picture, life's going to throw you curveballs. And, you know, I think one of the the biggest, you know, you know, attributes that, that I think you can have is to be even keeled in life and put things in perspective. That's good stuff. Something certainly I can I can appreciate as well with four kids. And sometimes I'm giving them advice only it's really just helpful, helpful advice for myself. So I, as a parent of five, I, I can appreciate that part of it as well. So you're right. So yeah, yeah, no doubt. I, I'm sure you have times with with the family where it seems like it seems like it's chaos. I've got to tell myself, you know, enjoy enjoy the enjoy the journey. So that's a good way to wrap this up, Bill. I couldn't, I, I can't thank you enough for doing this, jumping on the program, and, and spending an hour with me. So I, I really appreciate that. It's my pleasure, and I appreciate it. And you know, I wish you all the best. And thanks for reaching out, Scott. All right, sounds good. I'll have you hold on the line real quick. But for those interested in learning a little bit more about Earlens, the company that Bill is CEO of right now, I'll link to Earlens in the show notes. Of course, you could always just pull up Google and search for Earlens, but I'll link to it in the show notes as well. But for those listening, thanks everyone for listening in on this episode. And until the next time, take care. Thanks again, ladies and gents, for listening. This episode has been brought to you from the WCG studios here in Minneapolis. And don't forget to grab your Panoptic stacking blueprint by visiting reachfiredigital.com forward slash medsider. Again, that's reachfiredigital.com forward slash medsider. Okay, bye for now. Bye for now.